0: we are glad to introduce to you ben cleveland of the west franklin campus uh and just to help you understand the quality of leadership that is on all of our campuses and um, help you see some of the quality of ministry and all that's being done there so we're glad that uh, you got to meet ben today Um, i'm sure travis will have the same opinion that i do when The campus pastors and ministers come over that uh, we won't let that happen again uh, because (laughs) of (laughs) that My father was naive in the best sense of that word. And that is my dad had no understanding that the situation he was in was caused by the choices he had just made nor did he understand that what would happen next would be totally dependent on what he chose in this moment for my father it was just now he was naive and for my dad my dad said he'd never made a wrong decision he made decisions that required other decisions but he never made a wrong One of the problems in reading the scripture like we do, paragraph by paragraph or section by section, is that we end up reading naively. That is, we lose the connection of how the passage works from the previous passage or how it leads into the next passage. And Romans 8 is one of those chapters that we read naively. Let me show you what it means. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Picking up with verse 31. What then are we to say about such things? If God is for us, who is against us? He, done, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will then he not also grant us everything? Who can bring accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He's also with the right hand of, of God interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword, danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. no. No, no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I am persuaded that nothing can separate us. See, that's what I mean. If we had been reading this letter the way it was meant to be, you would be on your feet, you would be shouting. Sit down, let me tell you. Now, remember, this is a letter, okay? And the way the letter was to be written, what was to be experienced in the congregation, is someone would show up and say, Here is a letter from the Apostle Paul. They would then read the letter with any other comments that Paul had sent with the letter. When you read this letter, be sure to tell them this. They would read that letter, they would read it in its entirety. Okay, some of you, whenever you get down or or you're having a hard time, you'll, you'll open to Romans 8, you'll find that passage that you've underlined and you will feel better. The sad part of that is if you'd opened up to Romans 1 and started reading from there, by the time you got to Romans 8, you'd feel great. Now remember, the church in Rome did not know Paul. Paul is hoping when he finishes Uh, Taking the collection for the saints. He'd he'd been working among the Gentile churches to take up a collection. He was going to deliver it to the church in Jerusalem that was experiencing a a famine, poverty, hungry. And he took up a collection as a symbol of biblical unity. Gentiles who are Christians love our Jewish Christian brothers and sisters so much that we are going to send food to them. It was an important ministry for Paul. Celebration of the unity that there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Of course, he's arrested in Jerusalem, doesn't get back to the church in Rome the way he wanted to, but he is anticipating coming to this church in Rome. So he writes and he introduces himself and he says, I long to come to you so I can teach you, so I can edify you, build you up, and then you can support me in my missionary journey to the south of Europe, to Gaul, south of France and Spain. I want you to feel so confident in who I am as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to feel good about sending me on to my missionary journey. Paul says, I love to go and preach where nobody else is preached. Now, of course, and I tell you this all the time, you can't outline Paul because Paul gets to preaching, Okay. I want to preach, and I want to tell you why I preach. Because people people have sinned, and because of that sin, they're in danger of death. And this is the famous chapter where he says, God gave people over to their sinful mind. And because of this, this is what happens. And and there is the the passage that, that... Too many people are familiar with that condemn sexual uh, immorality. And the reason is, is because in your soul, your spirituality, your spiritual wiring, and your sexual wiring runs real close together. If there's a short in one, it will short out the other. Okay? If there's a short in your spirituality, it will short out your sexuality. And that's the way the short in your spirituality will be expressed. If there's a short in your sexuality, it will short out your spirituality because a proper spirituality cannot support uh, sexual immorality and it will short it out. Okay, that's what Paul says. Because of that, I'm going to preach. Then he says, now you Jewish listeners don't get the big head because you think you're children of Abraham because you too have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He goes on and talks about how that was changed, redeemed, how the story of redemption started. And he ends with dealing with his own sin at the end of chapter seven, right? The things I know to do, I don't do. The things I know not to do, I do anyway. Wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for our Savior Christ Jesus. Then chapter eight, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only is there no condemnation, He makes you part of the family. There's no condemnation. His spirit lives in you to align you with the correct teachings of Jesus, justification. Uh, Do you know that's a carpentry term? Justification. Um, I worked for Huntsville Utilities, and we set telephone poles. Okay, that was my job. I, I set telephone poles. Being the rookie, I got to do all the walking. Okay, so in order to tell if the, if the uh, pole was straight, they had a plumb line, a line with a weight on the end of it, and I would have to walk a certain distance from this pole and hold that line up, and I had to make sure that that pole lined up with that line. So I'm standing halfway down the road, holding this thing up, doing this and doing that and doing this, and they're yelling at me, going, what's the problem, rookie? Look straight from here. So they're giving me all kind of abuse and I'm trying to do this and do... Okay, that's that's the term, justification. The plumb line is Jesus. Okay, the Spirit holds Jesus up to you and where you and I don't measure up to that, where we're out of a line, the Spirit taps you in the line so that the plumb line of Jesus and you line up exactly. Now... If you're like me, it's not a gentle tap, is it? Whack! Get over there. Okay? That's the point. He justifies you. He lines you up so that there's nothing in your life that kinks up the flow of grace from the throne of God. So that when the grace pours out of God's throne, this river that flows from his throne... There's nothing in your life that causes it to slow down, bend, kink, get stuck. It flows in its full force. You're justified. You're glorified. See? Nothing, nothing kinks up the glory of God. Nothing slows it down from flowing through you. So much so that when you pray, You pray, Abba, Father, you have access to him. Now, you know, you've known this rule since I've been here. Anytime my wife calls me, I answer the phone. I don't care who's in the room. She's more important than you. Anytime my boys called me, anytime they wanted me, they got me. They have walked in on committee meetings, counseling sessions, everything else. My boys can always get to me. Now, my grandchildren can always get to me. (laughs) Why? They're more important than you. Deal with it. Now, I want you to hold that image. I don't want you to run by it and not savor it. God on his throne running the universe. And you call. The God of heaven, the God who made all that is, tells the angels around him, hush. I need to take this call. Hush. I need to take this call. That's the way you pray. And Paul gets to the end of this great chapter. and He says, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know the same thing that I know. I am persuaded. I am convinced. This is what I know. Now, all of us know that there's two ways of knowing, right? There's information. One and one is two, okay? There is experience. Bam, bam, that's two, okay? This is Paul's word. I have lived this. I know this. Now, this wasn't, a, this wasn't some kind of shallow Jesus brag that you get in church, okay? This wasn't why I learned to trust Jesus and everything. This is a man who, by his own admission, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, okay? The Corinthians are talking about who is a real apostle and how can you tell a real apostle. And Paul writes to them, you want to know who a real apostle is? Let me show you. And then he talks about all the times he's been in prison. I have been whipped. I've been beat with chains. I've been thrown in jail. I've been shipwrecked. I've been lost at sea for days on end. I have been uh, on the road. Uh, afraid of being robbed. I've been afraid of uh, the Roman soldiers. I've been afraid of the Jewish religious leaders. I've been betrayed by Christians who didn't think I was enough apostle for them. On and on the list goes. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. All of that. And then, and this is my favorite verse in all the Bible. Paul says, besides that, I have the daily pressure of pastoring all these churches. It's in there. I've got it highlighted, underlined, pointed to. It's me, All right? Being beaten and thrown in jail is one thing. Pastoring a church, a whole, whole nother level. Just, and here's what I've learned. That nothing can separate us learned it, Paul says, in a jail in Philippi. They arrested Silas and me and beat us, locked us in chains, threw us in jail. And Silas and I started singing praise to God. God inhabits the praises of his people, the word says. And the presence of the living God filled that jail, and the jail couldn't contain it. And the presence of God blew that jail open from the inside out. This is what I know. That nothing can separate us from the love of God we have in Christ Jesus. Let me give you the picture. You and I are following Christ. We are in a long line of saints who have gone before us. A long line comes out. In front of us, we see a man who is bent over. Step by step, he seems to struggle and he turns to look at us. And when he does, his face is beaten and scarred beyond all recognition. The Romans were professional torturers. The stones that had banged him left their mark on his back or the stripes of his testimony for Jesus Christ. And we know we can barely do it. We recognize Paul. And he looks back at us and says, with a smile, nothing can separate you. Come on, nothing can separate you. Keep on, nothing can separate you. Let me show you how this works. There is now no condemnation. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? To be set free from all of your sins, but being set free isn't enough, is it? You don't believe that? Listen to the testimony of the men who are part of Men of Valor, our, our prison ministry, the community prison ministry that we partner with. Listen, listen to them tell you what it is to walk out of that jail and hear the jail close behind you and you're a free man. Free for what? Your family's not there. You can't go back home. Where do you go? You want to know why the recidivism rate is so high? That's why. You walk out free. You've paid your sentence. You're done. You're a free person. Now go live your life. But where? What shall we say to this? When the enemy, Satan, looks at God and says, setting might free won't be enough. He won't be able to live by himself. He won't be able to do it. There's no condemnation. It's not enough. So the father says, I'll bring him home. I'll make this orphan my child. And he and I will be so close that he will call me Abba. I will know him better than he knows himself. The spirit that searches my depths will search his depths so that when he prays, he won't have to say a word. I'll already know. And Satan will answer. That's nice. Everybody needs a family. Mike's not that strong. He can't pay attention that long. He'll lose focus. The sea will turn angry. The wind will start to blow. And his attention will be diverted when the wave hits. And he'll be washed overboard. He can't hang on that long. And the Father will say, Nothing will get Mike out of my hands. Not anything on on the earth, not anything above the earth, not anything under the earth not anything you can think of. What are you gonna say about that? (laughs) Do you know that Paul is trash talking? Do you know that? It's that moment in the game when you make a good play and you turn to the guy who's guarding you and you look at him and go, now what you got to say? found condemned set free your death has already been died Jesus did that brought home as the child of the father with this promise nothing will ever make me let you go What are you going to say about that? The only thing you can't say.